District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Hi, everyone. I have a phenomenal guest for you all today. I largely focus on hook and bullet subjects because I hunt and fish and I like to shoot guns, but I also intermingle with people who don't necessarily do that. They do camping, hiking, other outdoor leisure activities, and I like doing those as well. And someone that has largely been on my mind to bring on the podcast is someone I've known in politics for a long time, Shoshana Weissman. She has a pretty big presence on Twitter, for example. She focuses largely on occupational licensing reform and other issues. She manages R Street Institute's social media, marketing and other digital assets. Like I said, she loves occupational licensing reform, social media regulatory policy relating to Section 230, and she has appeared in other publications. And relating to the podcast, she is actually somewhat involved in conservation. She sits on the board of the Conservation Coalition and is also a member of the Federalist Society's Regulatory Transparency Project State and Local Working Group. And she loves hiking. She'll explain her story. We go into a little bit about national park closures and why those are wrong, especially as people start to get vaccinated and more adjusted to kind of a return to normal, and what she's passionate about on the conservation front, including free market environmentalism. I am so delighted to have Shoshana Weissman on the podcast. And while my listeners know that I largely focus on hunting, fishing, shooting sports, and stewardship-like topics, we do like to talk about national parks and public lands because those are extremely pivotal to conservation. And Shoshana is an avid hiker. We're going to have her talk about where she likes to go hiking, what got her into this, why she's so passionate about this, in addition to some of her other hobbies too, and and how she supplements her day-to-day stuff with this, and her thoughts on national park closures that we're seeing under the guise of COVID restrictions. Shoshana, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to geek out over national parks and hiking with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love getting to talk about it and I never get to. <laughs> well, this is your opportunity to do so. I'm I'm so glad you can because I really feel like it's one really fun subject. I mean, your social media feed is super interesting. I love following your stuff about occupational licensing, but what really has also drawn, I think, a lot of people to your Twitter, especially, is your posting of going to all these different hikes, planning your different hikes, talking about the National Park Service, park rangers, wildlife encounters you have and just your experiences in the outdoors. And I think people don't really hear that from hikers. And and I know hikers are very open on social media, but you don't really think of political people or people working in politics who talk about hiking actively. And and that's why your story piques my interest so much. And I think will pique the interest of my listeners. So talk about the genesis of how you came to hike and develop a greater appreciation for national parks. Yeah, for sure. So I've been going to Acadia National Park just about every year since I was born. Like it's where I took some of my first steps. Like I'm just obsessed with hiking and I loved Acadia. My dad never flew. So um, the first time I went on a plane was like three years ago, almost three years ago now. But like um, I just always loved Acadia that you would run into deer and like just everything was so calm and peaceful and just every view of everything was just incredible. It was just the best. I always loved climbing things. So there were lots of rocks to climb um, and it was great. But when I, um, when I was 13, I got a bunch of diseases or like they said in there, it's all genetic and it's cool. But like, you know, it made hiking harder because I was just in pain and all the time. But even like when 
I did go hiking. It was just a little bit better for me than other exercise because mountains always just seem to really relax me um, and to make me feel a little bit better from all the stress of the diseases. So over the years, I've just like come to appreciate it so much more um, that I'm still able to do it even after having all this autoimmune stuff. And over the past few years, now that I'm like, oh, flying, like I wasn't even so much afraid of like being high up in the sky so much as like the logistics of flying and like, okay, do I have this thing and this thing and this thing? And it was kind of like intimidating. But now that I know, I'm like, oh, I can like just go out west and like see goats and moose. Like this is the greatest. So it's just been so cool to see so much of the West. I I still like Acadia, but man, it is nothing compared to Utah for me. I have not been to Acadia. It's on my list of places, but the West is so enchanting. You're absolutely correct. But maybe you share these same uh, caveats too. I have no problems doing this, but anytime I've gone out West recently, I've had to refrain from drinking alcohol and I have to take like ibuprofen. Do you get altitude sickness too? Is that something that you deal with regularly? I try now to take ibuprofen with me, but I'm very careful when I go out West because I don't want to obviously get altitude sickness. Yeah, I only got it once this past summer because I'm an idiot and decided, oh, like let my first trip be, um, you know, after nine months not being at altitude to climb a 14er. And that was way too much for me. Like I was staying at like 5,000 feet and hiking up to 14,000. I ended up not being able to make it mostly because of my shoes, actually. I think I could have done the hike, but um, I I needed spree shoes for to climb Mount Sneffels uh, around Ore, Colorado. But um, that was the first time I had it. And I was just like having a panic attack and like nauseous and it was terrible. So now I do, um, I, I, that I started getting altitude pills after that. So I take this um, altitude RX thing, I think on Amazon um, and then Tylenol. Um, I forget exactly how much, but basically I make sure I have both of those with me whenever I'm at altitude. Because even though it takes a lot for me to get altitude sickness and I actually handle it really well. Like I climbed um, a mountain after like just after landing in uh, this one time and it was like 10,000 feet at the peak and I was fine. I was a little tired after flying, but like I was totally able to do it. But when I get above there, I feel it. So I'm trying to reduce the chances of getting it because it just sucks. Like if you have it, you know how much it sucks. But I think mine's unique. Was yours like nausea and anxiety or was it something else? Oh gosh. So I went to, this was, you'll totally geek out over this. There was a monetary policy conference I went to in Jackson (laughs) Hole and it was in the backdrop of Grand Teton National Park, I believe. Obviously, I think on the outskirts of Yellowstone, but you saw the Teton range. It was beautiful. It was like this rugged cabin. And the day before I had imbibed an alcoholic drink going up, I think, gosh, it was already high altitude. And I think an additional five or 6,000 feet had an alcoholic beverage came down, didn't feel anything for the next few hours. The next day I woke up with this piercing headache. I thought my head was going to explode. So I knew I was like, something is wrong with me. What is going on? So I didn't adjust. And I learned that going forward, either to adjust more carefully or forego having alcohol in a higher altitude location or having, um, ibuprofen pills. Like when I went to Wyoming recently, uh, but I was hunting kind of fairly flatland, although it was elevated in the black Hills, but I was able to take ibuprofen. I adjusted. I had like a light alcoholic beverage and I was okay, actually. It was just the the motion sickness that kind of made me queasy combined with the higher altitude. But I learned from that um, incident in 2015 to be more careful uh, with that. So definitely, I, I, I totally agree. And I'm nowhere near probably your level of avid hiking, but I love it and I enjoy it too. And I think it's a great way to see nature. And the West, you're right, has absolutely just amazing trails. I try to go on trails here on the East Coast 
Have you ever hiked old rag by chance? Yeah, I did old rag. I like it, but it's not enough for me. It's, it's it- really cool at the peak. I like it a lot, but like, that's like a small mountain for me. Like if I'm not getting in three, 4,000 feet, I'm just kind of like, did I even hike today? I'm, I'm really snobbish <laughs> about it. <laughs> I mean, those switchbacks were quite intensive, but I actually found going down that steep incline, not the switchbacks was a lot harder after you make the incline up, um, even for a fairly moderate hike. So it was super interesting for me, but that's so interesting. You're just like, have this adrenaline rush and something related to hiking, which really piqued my interest from a storytelling perspective. Did you ever watch that free solo documentary? It's totally probably even extreme for you, but this was like fascinating to me. Yeah. I haven't watched it. I heard good things about it though. Yeah. He climbs with his hands for the most part. He has wires and and I'm not using the correct terminology, but he has the support, but like he's doing this free solo without like any rope so much, which is crazy <laughs> how he does oh it. Gosh, that's terrifying. Yeah. I, I like climbing. I like doing a little bit of that, but I stress a little bit. Like I'm, I'm quickly like, okay, like I need some support under me, but, um, I I've done some stuff like jumping across cliffs. Um, and that was fun. Um, and like, getting too close to wildlife accidentally and I was being responsible, but sometimes it just happens or, um, or sometimes just climbing stuff that like, I probably should like know how to climb better, but I make it and it's cool. <laughs> you had like a close encounter. Was it a bear? Was it a grizzly bear? I think you said oh on gosh, Twitter. Yeah. I Explain that. Um, I wanted to do Sae Summit in uh glacier. It's, uh, it's 4,000 feet. Um, I think the first 1500, or like, it's basically just like a short incline. But that was where um, I'm walking and I make noise. I'm really careful. And a bear, just like a giant grizzly bear, just walks like right out of the woods, 30 feet ahead of me, and then slowly starts walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, crap, this is it. This is how I die. So I go to like get my bear spray, but accidentally get my vitamin water. Then I actually get my bear spray and I aim it while I'm saying hello, bear, which makes me feel like an idiot. But you have to do it because they can't hear high pitched tones. My voice is pretty high pitched. So it hears me and it stops. And we're just like staring at each other. I don't know how long, but it felt like forever. It might've been like a minute or seconds, but it felt like a really long time. Um, and I, I was like, if it had come any closer, I, I was going to have to do something. I got off the trail, like just because it seemed to be using the trail. So I wasn't running. You can't run. Um, but I just stepped off a little bit just to see, you know, maybe it would pass. But instead, it went up into the other side of the woods and did the exact same thing to a bunch of other groups of hikers. And we were all like, oh, my gosh. But um, the when I got to the climbing part, because it really is a climb, um, it's a steep incline and there's like places to rest, but it, it's difficult. I just wasn't able to do it. I was shaking so much still. I was so freaked out. Um, I really wanted to make it work, but I was just like, you know, I, I can't do a helmet hike today while I'm shaking, you know? <laughs> Yeah. A grizzly bear encounter is sure to scare the living daylights out of you. I can imagine. Oh my gosh. I, I feel another bear, but it was further. I saw a bear, two bears in the car over the years. And like that, that was fine. But when it's like right there and staring into your soul, it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> they are expanding their range in Montana, I believe is where you were and, and all over that greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So it's not con- not uncommon now to see grizzly bears, but that must've been scary uh, to, to have. Oh yeah. Hunter. And I mean, you've seen some mountain goats, some other really cool species. Uh, where did you see the mountain goat? The that was also in um, Glacier. I, I did a shorter peak and it, it was a lot of climbing, but a lot of root finding. And it wasn't super long, but it was a lot of fun. And um, maybe halfway up, I saw a white dot at the top. And I'm like, yes, there's mountain goats. I'm so happy. 
So I finally got up there and I just got these incredible pictures just on my phone, but like of the goat and it's so clear and it's just staring into my soul. And like, I got so close to it, maybe closer than I should have, but I got these incredible pictures um, in Zion. I got really close to these beautiful deer and like they're super adjusted to people, which isn't good, but I got close enough to take some really incredible pictures. Um, I, and moose, I'm less good about photographing moose because I like, they freak me out and they can really like definitely kill you. So I don't ever try to get close to them, but I've gotten to see them all over. And it's just like, it's so cool to just see moose and goats and like deer, like, and sometimes turtles and snakes. Like I love that stuff. (laughs) That's a bonus. I think to going outdoors. I mean, whether you're hiking, camping, fishing, hunting, I think people think like there's just one objective to having these outdoor pursuits. It's so all encompassing. Like anytime I'm doing stuff where I could potentially take, you know, a fish or a, a wild game species. I also enjoy the component where I can see wildlife too. It's not just like getting some end goal. And even when I'm like hiking yeah. too, like I always love to see if I can see some cool wildlife. Like I just started to go more so often. I tried uh, unsuccessfully, unfortunately to, to go mushroom hunting uh, for morels this past weekend out near Shenandoah. It was a little too early. I think um, we did check the poplar trees, which are known to, um, have them grow there. They're pretty commonly associated with those trees. So it's like, you can, you can see so much in nature with all the activities you do. And I think people forget that when they go outdoors, like they just want to do a glamping trip, which glamping is fun. Like I like doing it too. I can rug it out, rugged in, in campsites, whatever. But I think there's so much more to an outdoor experience than let's say having a ten or a, a tenable goal or something you're trying to reach. And I think that's what makes being an outdoor recreation is so unique, especially with this last year. Have you been going to more national parks and even just hiking trails in general in the last year? Yeah. And and I definitely know what you mean. Like, I love the goal. I love getting the stomach, getting to see the thing I wanted, but like so many times it's the thing that I don't expect that really makes my day like lots of moose or a bird landing on my fingers. Um, but uh, so uh, in 2019, I did uh, the Wasatch uh, twice, uh, during the year, because I went too early in May. Like I went at the end of May, but everything was still covered in snow and it was gorgeous, but I didn't get in a lot of what I wanted to do. So I went back later and did a lot of what I wanted to do. Um, and I went back again last year. I just love the Wasatch near Salt Lake city. It's just like absolutely incredible. They're my favorite mountains. Um, and it was, it was really cool, but like, um, I, I, I wanted to see more. I just wanted to get in a really good Wasatch trip. Um, so that way I could knock out the stuff I really wanted to see. But last year I did, gosh, so I did Mount Snuffles Wilderness, which isn't a park, but it's awesome. Um, I did, um, the Tedans Glacier, um, Acadia as well. And, um, uh, gosh, Zion. (laughs) Um, I, I also kind of like went to like other places, like, uh, I, I sort of went into, I think it's Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park. I just spent a little time in there because it was really close to where I was staying in Colorado. And I'm like, oh, let me check this out while I'm here. I I wish I could have spent some more time there, but like, it's hard because in Colorado, there's just so much everywhere and you really got to pick what you're going to do and stay close to it. That way you're you're not wasting as much time on travel. So I learned some stuff there, but it was really cool. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did. I I know I accidentally did some other national parks. Like I, oh, I did, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, Yellowstone, uh, a little bit. It's cool, but just too touristy. So I got to see it and I just spent the day there. Um, but it's, it's just so much fun getting to see all that stuff, all the different terrain. 
Um, it's just, it's such a blessing. I'm so glad I was able to do it. And this year, now that I'm getting my second vaccine, I'll feel a little safer about flying, but I, I was safe on the plane. Like everything was so sanitized. Yeah. Um, I had like hand sanitizer and a mask and like all, you know, everything that I could to keep myself safe while there, but I just didn't want to miss out on hiking. Cause I, I felt myself sitting inside like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind. Like I need to go hiking or like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I just need to go hiking. Um, and then I am so glad I was just able to, and you know, you get to like hang out with people there too. Just if you're both at the summit, just sitting a little bit apart and like talking, it, it's nice. It's like, it was just such a nice change. And I love solitude too. Uh, it's really bad. This last year I discovered how much I like being alone. It's probably <laughs> a problem, but I really enjoy it. I think you can enjoy being in solitude. Like it offers moments of reflection, of course, and, and obviously have your social time. I think that's with any person who loves the great outdoors, because to me, I mean, I try to go with people if I'm outdoors somewhere. Um, you never know. I mean, in this day and age, things can happen, but I, I don't mind like going, you know, walking in my neighborhood outdoors and I can do some trails, walking trails by myself, but it's always fun to have company too. But I think you could maintain kind of that dual uh, notion to it of, of time in the outdoors. Cause it does get you to think it does get you to get outside of your comfort zone and enjoy your surroundings and meet people. I think some of the coolest things you can do like anywhere you go, whether it's somewhere super rugged remote or an outdoor setting where there are a lot of people, you can meet some fascinating folks. Like I, I had the pleasure to do that recently. And you see different people with kids and people you didn't think were outdoor recreationists partaking in it. And it's a lot of fun and it's nice to see people cherishing this uh, when they either neglected it, didn't know that they could do this, or maybe felt left out from the outdoor conversation. Although it is a welcoming place. I haven't seen too much of obstacles to it. And I know some people have other experiences, but it's just so nice that this is one of the few barriers that can be broken and probably one of the silver linings to COVID and the pandemic. And with, with that, I mean, we're, we're starting to see, thankfully, kind of an end in sight with this. People are getting vaccinated. It's still, according to CDC guidelines, very, very safe, demonstrably safe to go outdoors. Yeah, you commented, and I totally agree with you, and I, I saw this, and I wanted to chime in on this issue, too. You see, I think it's the National Park Service and some of the parks, and now with it being kind of under a new administration, they were saying something along the lines of they want to implement a reservation system for day use which doesn't sit well with you, perhaps. Could you explain more about that news about Yosemite? And I think it was Rocky Mountain and also uh, Grand Teton employing this system and, and what the implications of it can be. Yeah, so like when it comes to use, just to like, I, some sometimes erosion happens and you want to rope that off or you want to say like, hey, maybe these hikes are closed for this year or even like sometimes a couple of years, whatever is going to work to restore the land, that's one thing. But when it's about COVID, it doesn't make sense. Like we should want people going outside more. That's a good thing. Um, and one thing I've never understood with overcrowding too is like why we don't kind of encourage people to go to lesser known parks. I'm not sure if this is true, but I had heard that Zion until like maybe a decade ago was kind of a lesser known park. And then it became really big, which is good. Like it's good people appreciate it. But now they run into use issues, not even because of COVID, but because like lots of people want to go there. And, and there's a level of crowd that like you don't get to appreciate the nature anymore. And, and there, you know, erosion and other issues like that can occur. So I wish they would like encourage people to go to trails that people don't use so much. There's a lot of that in the Bossage, you know, um, there's certain trails that people are always on. But even in peak seasons, like there's a lot of trails 
where, um, you know, you might be the only one on it for miles, um, which is, I mean, I like that, (laughs) but we have so many national forests and parks and, you know, a a lot of them are just less well known. And I wish we would encourage people to go there, you know, to, to level out use a little bit more to figure out that kind of stuff. Um, But when it comes to COVID, it's like, it's just crazy to me that, um, that any park would, would want to restrict people gathering outside when like, that's not what's causing the problem, let alone everyone getting vaccines now. And I, maybe I erred on, on the side of safety more than a lot of people on the right, but um, this isn't doing that. Like this isn't helping. Like I'm open to stuff that'll genuinely help, even if it's certain restrictions that I don't love, but like, this isn't that, you know? Yeah. And you had some guy, I think, subtweet you saying like, this is a conservationist move. And to me, that doesn't sit well or fit the definition of conservation. It seems like a preservationist move to restrict people. And one of the slogans of Yellowstone, which was embedded in the law that essentially created it in 1872, says for the betterment and enjoyment for the people. And I'm kind of butchering or extending what it means or what what it actually says. But it says that these are open to the public and they should be enjoyed by the public all the while maintaining and preserving their different elements from, let's say, development or things of that sort. So preserving certain entities doesn't mean restricting people from going in and admiring them. I think this guy who criticized you didn't understand that. And I'm like, too many people lump those two philosophies together, which irks me personally speaking, And you need to make a very clear distinction between the two because preservation doesn't say close the national parks under the guise of COVID restrictions. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I, yeah, so he, there were a couple of people online, just random idiots who were like, oh, you're not supposed to use national parks. And there's a small philosophy of stupid people who are like, oh, that's not what they're for, but that, that is what they're for. Of course, we should protect them and make sure that people aren't harming them while visiting. But like, no, this is, this is crap. Um, so so they were just being idiots about it and also not even addressing what I said, where it's like, look, if this is about COVID, one person was like, well, what about the people who have to maintain the facilities? It's like they can do that safely. They're alone, mm-hmm. like when they're cleaning something or um, especially in the Tetons last year, they did a really great job of like social distancing and making sure everyone was safe and everyone wore masks even outside. And like, you know, it, it was safe. That That's not how the uh, the. The, the spread was happening. Um, sure, if they happen to have like a shopping mall or like, I think maybe, gosh, I, I know that there's certain sites that have like a lot of facilities. And if even if they wanted to decrease use, they're fine. But like, as far as most of it goes, it's, it's pretty like easy to do, easy to handle and easy to use and safe. Um, so it was just some random idiots. But for the most part, I think people get this stuff. Um, you know, I, I I don't have a lot of confidence in uh, evidence-based policy making, but um, thankfully people seem to understand the the lack of logic from people like that and seem to encourage, you know realize we should be encouraging people to just go outside. Yeah, there's a bill from Michigan legislator or Mi- Michigan Representative Lisa McLean, who is a newer member, and I loved what she put out there. I thought there isn't a real number to the bill yet. It's still kind of in the formation process, I think, but she put out at least a generic bill that says that national parks access should be safeguarded and not kind of be used as a political cudgel, which I totally appreciate. All of us who love the outdoors should appreciate that. And I, I hope she does get even bipartisan support too, which I think you should be able to for this because the science says you're less likely to get COVID when you're outdoors and you can maintain social distancing. You can stay six feet apart. I'm not sure how I feel about um, the mask mandate, not necessarily on public facilities on public lands, like the buildings, fine, sure. But like when you're actually hiking, 
I question that a little bit. Um, as long oh, as you're six yeah. feet apart, uh, you don't need to wear outdoors, especially if you're very, very far away. And yeah, I, th- I think the science I matches that. If the crowds are really bad, like around, you know, just the sure. big, big yeah. sites, I, I'm open to it. It's like fine if you want to do it there. But if you want to do it like, well, people are pretty far apart and like there's not a lot of people or even there's a lot of people, but they're spread out. That's just silly, especially when it's vaccinated people. Um, and and gosh, I forgot. I, I might mess up the numbers, but I think the last time I checked, it was like 100 million people in the U.S. had their first dose. And that's huge. And that's awesome. But like you know, we're, we're kind of getting to the point where like, you know, we, we need to get down some of the ridiculousness. If we want to be overcautious and required indoors, fine. And, you know, until we feel a little bit safer because it has been something that's been so destructive and scary, like, okay. But, um, but yeah, with stopping people from being able to move around outside, like I never really wore a mask outside except in rare, rare cases where the crowds were just like really, really big. And like, Mm -hmm. I was super close to people, but aside from that, like that wasn't really expected. Um, it was mainly the touristy areas. Like when I, when I hike the real summits, like you kind of run into people, but you're so far apart anyway, you're always at least six feet apart. So it like, doesn't even matter, you know, it's just common sense, honestly. And when you're in the outdoors, obviously if certain localities dictate certain things, you can do your best to abide by it. But I think for the most part, when you're outdoors, you can safely not, you can have your mask as an aside, on your face, maybe not covering your face, but you can have it like hanging down. And then if you feel the need to, if too many people are crowding you, you can put it on for that, just for safety yeah, measures if you're exactly. worried. So it's, it's just common sense. But yeah, I just hate that so many people are just trying to um, ruin even the outdoors, which is supposed to be that escape. It's the one thing I feel like that's unifying people and they have to use performative art there too. And I'm like, I'm so sick of the performative art. Like, let's follow the science. The science says you can go safely outdoors and not worry. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, it it gets silly. And like, you know, I'm all for things that are evidence-based that will solve a thing, but this isn't that. And and that, that's what bothers me that like, we would be freaking anyone out about it, especially like while the, the, while everyone's getting vaccinated, like that just makes no sense. Like, you know, I, I'm, I even understand people after they're vaccinated who want to be a little bit more careful, but this is just so many levels away from that. Cause you're outside, you're distanced, you're, um, you know, you're vaccinated for, for the most part. Like that's, it, it's just so many levels of come on, you know? I totally agree very much. So why don't you talk about some of the organizations you're involved in? I know you handle stuff a little outside the cons- conservation portfolio, but you do some work kind of sitting on certain board positions, involvement in different organizations. So talk a little bit about that too. For sure. So I'm on the board of uh, the American Conservation Coalition. Um, I'm on the board of a handful of stuff, but like, I just love the work they do. Um, They're really positive. They're helpful. They spread good information. They're influential. And I'm really proud of them. I don't really do much to help them. They kind of do it all themselves. Like I'm happy to help out where I can, but they don't need me. I'm, I'm happy to do it. But like, they're, they're really, really great. Um, and I, I just love getting to do that stuff, especially because I don't do environmental policy or energy policy with rare, rare exception. Like it just goes so far outside my realm. But um, I love being able to help out with it because, you know, I grew up with, um, you know, I grew up vegetarian. My parents are hippies. My dad composts like it's so many levels of hippie that like, you know, it's nice to be able to do stuff that actually helps. And also it gets into regulatory reform, too, because there are like really cool technologies um, that we can't use like carbon capture, uh, all the time because we're like, 
worried that it'll um it'll people won't stop using carbon because of it or whatever and i'm like why don't we let a million flowers bloom because if climate change is real we're going to want to like use everything we can to combat it and if we can get government out of the way and actually allow innovation to work like that's really good um so i'm just so happy to work with them but again they just they hardly need me they're awesome um, I'm just, I'm so proud of the work they do. Benji Backer, who leads it is awesome. His whole team is great. Um, and they're just really good nerds who want to do good stuff. And it's, it's encouraging. A lot of times people stress me out or just kind of suck, but like they're, they're young. They're a young group who does, who does a lot of good. You just don't get to see that always, you know? Yeah, I'm very familiar. I know Benji for a long time and they're certainly making waves. That's, that's very evident for sure. And with, yeah, speaking kind of like on free market and environmentalism, I think that's kind of the way that we are, I would say, fastening as a move, not as a movement politically on our side of the aisle, but I would say, I would hope uh, we could gravitate more so to that as a country. We were, I feel like recently on that direction, I worry we're sadly starting to use the, use the levers of government more. And that worries me a lot. Um, when you see kind of that top-down approach, because I feel like individuals and public private partnerships are probably the best suitable means to achieve and, and fix and resolve different environmental issues, or even let's say conserve monarch butterflies or re- help restore an imperiled species or something of that nature. When you can empower landowners and, and private property uh, enthusiasts to get involved and to not feel penalized or burdened uh, when they are trying to help or when they are trying to do something to maintain their land too. So just that confluence is so important. But do you feel that this type of philosophy can appeal to more people even beyond your involvement with these different organizations? Is it a winning philosophy in terms of environmentalism? Yeah, I mean, I tend to think so. I think it, it's really good. I think it gets in all stakeholders and also thinks about like what, how things work. In so many cases, I think government is trying to work against, um, uh, you know, against how the market works and how like life works. Um, so it, it's nice to see them do that. And I mean, there's so many areas of policy where that's a problem. And I feel like energy has been one where you, you definitely get some good ideas, but, um, a lot of times it's just like the loudest or the craziest gets the most attention, but with them, they're like, Hey, what are narrow solutions? What are the things we can do? Who can we work with? Um, and, and government's always the hammer. So it's always looking for a nail, but sometimes it needs to be softer or it needs to think about things in a different way. Like you know, even how do we encourage people like my dad to compost? How do we recycle better? Um, uh, we worked on that a little bit too, but it's, um, it's crazy because people don't know how to recycle. Um, and also sometimes people do recycle and they do it wrong. And like, um, what's it called? Like, uh, government doesn't always recycle when it requires us to recycle. There's so many levels of like craziness. Bureaucracy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And bureaucracy that's not even working. It's not even accomplishing the goal. So how can we do this better? Um, And they're asking those questions and taking work from other people and working with other people and just, you know, lots of stakeholders together in a really, really good way. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is how things should work. Um, I I don't see that enough from a lot of groups Um, and it's frustrating, but with them, it's really good. Um, uh, And then, you know, there, there's definitely groups that do this kind of all over, but I think ACC has just been really good with kind of showing each part of the conversation, what it might be missing from the other part of the conversation. They talk with all different stakeholders and lawmakers. Um, I, I just love that kind of thing. I, I genuinely want a lot more of that. Yeah. Conversations are super important. And I don't think 
those are necessarily had often and certainly unwilling participants sometimes you see in preservation of circles but yeah conversations need to be had and i think if the individual is empowered they'll certainly want to become a better steward of the environment and it could be something as simple as a park cleanup. It could be participating in habitat restoration efforts, wildlife conservation efforts, joining an organization, things of that sort. There are many ways to get involved and do your little part. And uh, yeah, it, it, I, I, I agree. You can certainly make an impact in that. And I hope that philosophy starts to get embraced more. At first, it was rejected, historically speaking, but now it seems like people are welcoming it. But we may hit some roadblocks, sadly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And th- that's always going to happen. It's always a battle to to get new ideas. And they've been really successful. Like, I've been floored how successful they've been. It's really exciting to see. Um, but it, it, it takes everyone else kind of being part of it, too. Um, you know, if there's a lot of hostility to it, if there's people who don't want to give it a chance um, or work with them or, you know, whatever, that, that'll that cause issues. But I think they're doing a really good job with it. Um, sometimes, again, it really does for me because sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, let me know what you guys need. And they'll they'll be, you know, they'll, they're super kind and they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, we couldn't do this without you. And I'm like, actually, I'm pretty sure you could, but thank you. <laughs> That's good. They respect your involvement and your time. Uh, with with all the involvement that you do with them and with just your public policy work too. Shoshana, where could people learn more about your hiking adventures, connect with you, follow your stuff outside of conservation? For sure. So Twitter, um, I post most of my hiking there um, at Senator Shoshana, but also if you want to see pictures of the hiking on Instagram at Senator Shoshana and any nerding outside of hiking, um, both of those, but also um, at RSI on Twitter and rstreet.org. I also have a Shutterstock account um, where I make like $3 a year, but it's totally worth it because <laughs> I just, it's cool when other people like want to buy photos from my phone that like, I'm like, wow, you really want this? Cool. <laughs> That's legit. Yeah. And I think were you doing, what was it? You were doing sewing. Are you still doing sewing too? Yeah, I haven't been as much. I mean, honestly, I've just had less of a need for it because I'm I love sewing. Um, gowns, but I haven't needed to because uh, we haven't had galas anymore. Right, right here in DC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I really do want to because I love doing it. Um, and I, the, the talent never wastes. Like I always can jump right back into it. But um, I've had an idea for a dress for like a year, and I just need to do it. Like I just need to take a day and do it. You know, <laughs> you should do like a hiking themed or nature dress, or maybe a sloth dress or something Ooh. of that nature. So I know I you like sloths. Make, yeah, I make my own fabric, and I have a sloth print. But I would need to make it a little bit um, more subtle, like a more subtle sloth print. And I would (laughs) find the right fabric for it. But like, I I could totally do something like that. Yeah, I would love to see that. If you do, I will look out for it. (laughs) This has been so much fun, Shoshana. I really appreciate you, you talking about hiking how to combat altitude sickness, what your thoughts are on free market environmentalism and everything in the mix. It has been a joy and a pleasure. And I hope I get to see you sometime. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Shoshana Weissman and you learned a little bit about hiking. If you are just listening to the podcast, you like what you hear. You enjoyed Shoshana's appearance here on District of Conservation. Go over to your podcast provider, and especially if you're on Apple, hit the subscribe button. Make sure you leave some reviews. Those will help us go a long way. It's kind of a good barometer to know how we're doing. But encourage people to find us, download this episode, download past episodes if it piques your interest, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This week, we have some great guests lined up for the show. 
I will be featuring Thomas McCauley from POMA, Professional Outdoor Media Association. He's our new executive director. We will have his interview hopefully up by midnight Tuesday. Wednesday, we are joined by a very special, special political guest. I won't say who it is because I really want to leave everyone in suspense as to whom I'm speaking with, but this member of Congress, I won't say which body, well, I I have given it away on social media a little bit. It's a senator, so you can have a one in 100 guess as to who I'm bringing on, and I've already spoken to several senators, so there's a little process of elimination there, but this individual is very interesting. They're on the cutting edge of conservation issues for sure. They are very much on the forefront. They've been called a conservative conservationist in the past, and it is long due to finally have them on the podcast. And I'm so glad their team was super open about it, said the member was super stoked to come on. So we will have a very special Wednesday episode as well. I will also be featuring some other really cool people on the podcast Friday. We're going to be debuting an exclusive interview with firearms reporter Stephen Gutowski, a past guest on the show. He has a very special item that he wants to talk about. Maybe some breaking news. We'll see what happens with that. But you don't want to miss my conversation with him on Friday. We're going to record and I will publish on Friday for what is to be a very interesting news week on the firearms front. Later this week, I will be sitting down with Congresswoman Lisa McLean of Michigan. She has a very interesting bill out. There isn't a number attached to it yet or a title, but it is to ensure that the Secretary of Interior does not use the instance of COVID to limit access on public waters or public lands in the event of a pandemic, which I think is actually a very good thing. I've talked about this on my column recently at Town Hall, and it's so important to allow access to public lands and keep public lands open no matter if there's a pandemic you can socially distance you can be safe you can avoid very populated trails you can avoid populated spots and really explore places on your own so we will talk about that i will hopefully debut that early next week but we will have at least three interviews maybe i'm going to save some of the other ones i'm recording for next week which i think i'll do Uh, to lead you guys up to something. And I will be going to Texas late next week to participate in a really cool media event. I cannot wait to share my findings from that event outside of Dallas and let you know how that goes. But we'll talk about it at length here on the podcast and so much more. So you guys have a lot in store from me this week. Thank you so much for listening. 